Welcome to Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. Each week we sit down to discuss various topics concerning gynecologic cancers and women's health care. In 2019, at the age of 32, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer and became painfully aware of just how unaware I was of everything down there. On this podcast, we interview experts, share personal stories, and explore new research. No subject is off limits, so we caution you to listen at your own discretion. Happy Mother's Day! Yay! Yesterday, we celebrated Mother's Day in the U.S. Fun times! It, it is uh, has been a fun time, and I hope Mom enjoyed all of her Mother's Day goodies and relaxing. That's the best part of Mother's Day, right? Oh, it was the best part for me. I got a choice and I chose to chill. While we had a lovely Mother's Day ourselves, we recognize that there are women out there who have either chosen not to become a mother. They fill a mother role in another way um, from a traditional motherhood role, or they cannot have children and they um, are suffering with infertility and and today can be a hard day. And there are also people out there who have lost their mothers and that's a difficult day as well. So in order to honor all women, we have chosen to celebrate the month of May by highlighting the various ways that women choose to become mothers or choose not to become mothers. Today, you'll hear from Alana Weinberg. Alana went through a surrogate pregnancy due to a cancer diagnosis at the age of 32. We learned so much in our interview with Alana. She um, had so many great tips. And, you know, when somebody goes through something themselves and has an experience, it's so um, vital that we listen to what they have to say. We can learn so much. She she talked about uh, why she chose an agency over doing an individual um, surrogate arrangement and just a lot of specifics that you'll hear in the interview. So I'm just thrilled we got to meet her and learn so much about gestational carriers. We have a very special guest with us today. Alana Weinberg is joining us and she is going to share a little bit more about her surrogacy journey. Um, So I would like to first ask Alana, can you explain to us a little bit of how you ended up at the decision to um, seek out a surrogate mother. Yes, I'm happy to explain that. So I, when my husband and I were trying to have children, um, at first my periods were strange and I went to, after about six months of trying, I'd say, um, I went to my doctor and was kind of investigating what was going on there and why we weren't getting pregnant. And they did some more testing and through all that testing, um, they found two polyps in my uterus after I had a hysteroscopy and an ultrasound and all those types of things. And they found two polyps and they're like, okay, we'll remove those two polyps and then you should be good to go. So I had a polyp removal surgery and a DNC at the same time because they wanted to thin out my lining and they took samples of everything at that procedure and at that procedure, after everything came back, they found out that it was um, stage one, um, grade one um, endometrial cancer. So mm. they then, and they said it was all in my lining because my lining was very thick. So at that time, they asked 
they sent me to an oncologist to find out about what was going on. And the oncologist did more testing. I had an MRI, I had ultrasounds, I had a CAT scan, I had a bunch of different other testing to see what was going on. And they gave me the option to do fertility sparing to start, which I did for a couple of months. I was on Megase and um, doing fertility sparing. And then my MRI showed that there was possible um, invasion so I had the decision of continuing the megase and doing fertility sparing, but there was the chance that if I continued that what was stage one could become stage two and go further on. Mm. So it was kind of that crosswords of really difficult decision. I was 32, really wanting to get pregnant and hoping to spare my um, fertility, but I was really nervous as well about what was very curable at stage one to become worse. So at that point, I talked to my fertility doctor and we were able to create embryos and I made the decision to go ahead with the hysterectomy. Okay. Um, Well, I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. And uh, similar, you know, to 32 being diagnosed and definitely understand uh, what you're what you were going through. So uh, walk us through you have decided with your husband, you've, um, you know, made the embryos with your fertility doctor, you've decided with your husband to move forward with a surrogate. What was that selection process like? So the selection process after talking to our fertility doctor was they gave us a list of agencies that they've worked with at first. And from that list, we interviewed about three different agencies, kind of got their process of how they find you a surrogate, their price structure. We were looking for an agency close by because we were hoping that the surrogate would be close by so that we could drive to them and see them as much as possible. So from the list that they gave us, we then went in person after getting the information packet from the three different agencies. We went in person to one agency and we loved everything that they had to say to us. They really explained their entire process from how they find their surrogates to how the matching process for us to what they do for us on the lawyer side, what they do to us when she gets pregnant, what to do for us to get our parental rights and um, the way that they really laid out step-by-step their process for us. We felt as though that was really helpful for us because we didn't know where to begin. We were kind of lost. We didn't have anyone in our family or friends that was willing to be a surrogate for us. So we knew we needed the help of an agency. And it also, even though there is a higher cost by doing an agency than doing it by yourself, we needed that help to get us there. Yeah, it sounds like they, you know, obviously they're experts in their field and they know what they're doing. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't even think, but it makes perfect sense about the whole aspect of the law and parental rights and all things that I wouldn't think about, you know, if I was going through that process. So how wonderful that you were able to find such a great agency. Yeah, I did notice um, in, I guess it was an email uh, between us that, you refer to gestational carrier. Um, is there a uh, preferred term? Is surrogate, 
outdated? I mean, what did you find in your experience? That's a great question because I found in my experience that, yes, they really like the word gestational carrier, mainly because there's two types of surrogacies. There's traditional surrogacy and then there's gestational carrier. So when you say the word surrogate, some people think it could not be my embryo and it could be the traditional surrogacy where there's way more involvement of the surrogate mother in there. But for gestational carrier, she is literally carrying my my egg, my husband's sperm. We created an embryo. It's 100% biologically our child. Um, so it kind of makes it that it's that way. So that is the preferred term to be used, I found, in all my research and talking with my agency and everything. Um, they use the word gestational carrier. Like our whole contract throughout used the word gestational carrier throughout it. Wow. And you know, it's interesting to me, that makes perfect sense. And um, your explanation makes perfect sense. I wonder why we don't know that term. You know, we, the general public, don't know that term. That's kind of interesting. I agree. And I found that, like, even when I would talk to people about doing surrogacy at first, there were people that were confused. Is this biologically our child what's going Mm. on here what's the process like so there was a lot of questions and I feel as though it's not talked about that much at all Mm -hmm. and I feel as though it's maybe starting to with some people but some people think okay you know you're using a surrogate because you personally just don't want to get pregnant and ruin your figure or something like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know there's so much that goes into it and I feel as though it's not talked about enough and a lot of people don't know the full process and everything that goes into it yeah and that's why we're talking about it today yeah (laughs) and we're so happy you reached out so what um are there any specific qualifications that um, a woman who would like to become a gestational carrier um, has to meet? So there's two sides to it. So the agency has their own specific requirements that they look for when they're interviewing and allowing someone to become a surrogate for their agency. So they um, get all their medical records. They need to look at their previous pregnancies, make sure that they were uncomplicated, Uh, pregnancies throughout then they also look at their driving record because they want to make sure that if they're driving around your child that they are going to be responsibly driving around they look at um their (laughs) they look at their they look at their financial needs as well because they don't need Mm -hmm. to be doing this for money it should be that they're you know totally stable and that this is just something that they want to do. It's not doing it because I monetarily need the money and that's why I'm doing it. They also look at their health, head to toe, everything. They get all their health records. And from there, that's the agency's requirements and they might have some others. But then from there, each fertility clinic has their own set of requirements. And oh, wow. every fertility clinic, from what I've heard, has slightly different requirements but my Mm -hmm. fertility clinic um had a list of requirements that they have to so once we match with the surrogate then before you're officially matched the fertility clinic needs to get their records and go through their requirements to make sure that they're good so my fertility clinic required that they have a bmi less than 32 if it was between 32 and 30 and 32 they gave them nutrition consult to get them to where they Mm -hmm. needed to do 
Um, they had to be between the ages of 23 and 45. They must have had one or more previous live births already. Um, no preterm deliveries before 36 weeks. If it was for multiples, it could have been less. It could have been 32 weeks. They needed all their records provided of prior pregnancy, gynecological records, PAP records, and then they needed to have less than four C-sections and less than six deliveries. And they also wanted to make sure wow. they were in a stable relationship if they were in one. Um, they needed their spouse to be on board with this. And they financially as well had to not be doing this because they needed the money. And they also went through psychological testing to make sure that they passed psychologically, that, you know, at the end of this, they wouldn't be like, I this is my child. I carried it. I want to keep this mm-hmm. child. So there was mm-hmm. lots of those types of things that they had to go through. We had an entire day once we found our surrogate. We had an entire day as a family all together at the fertility office where they did testing on her. She had psychological testing. Her husband had psychological testing. My husband and I talked to a psychologist, and then we all talked together at the end to make sure we were all on the same page about everything that was going to happen. Wow. It's nice to know that they're so thorough and that they've thought about, you know, every kind of aspect of, of things, even financially, you know, um, to, it's not something that I would have thought about that they would request financial records to make sure that you're not just doing it because you need money. Wow. That's- I wonder with all of those qualifications, um, how easily is it for them to find surrogates? I, I mean, I wonder what the market is. Um, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's awesome that they're that thorough because then the families who get these babies can have confidence that it's done well and done right. Um, but wow, I want, I just wonder how, do you have any idea about that? Is it hard for them to get uh, gestational carriers? So I think prior to COVID, it was a little bit easier for them. Um, what I've heard from my agency now, because I still talk with them, is that since COVID, it's been a little bit more difficult because people are mm. a little bit more hesitant to, you mm. know, get pregnant even themselves to let alone, you know, do it for someone else with all the unknowns of COVID and what's going on mm. there. So I know agencies right now, I think, are struggling a little bit more for that reason. Prior to, I also think it was a little bit more difficult because we were on a list for six months, I'd say, before we even got a match sent to us. So we get on the list. Once we agreed with our agency, we got put on a list and then we got assigned um, basically like a matchmaking person who (laughs) called us and it was like a two to three hour phone call with him where we really went through everything we were looking for from distance, from our thoughts on termination, which is a very big, important topic that you make oh, sure yeah. you're on the same page about. Because seeing, mm-hmm. since even though it's your child, it's their body. So they have the rights over what happens. So if they want to terminate for any reason, you need to be on the same page about that. So that was a very big, lengthy conversation because you really want to make sure that you match up on that. Um, 
about how many embryos you want to transfer, about what qualities you're looking for, what type of relationship you want with them during when they're pregnant, as well as after what you perceive. So all those Mm -hmm. types of questions, then the agency worked really hard to match you with somebody that they felt and met everything that was on your list. And we elected we wanted somebody that was closer by we live in connecticut and we didn't want to have to get on a plane into travel we wanted to go to all doctor's appointments now obviously when we were answering these questions covid didn't exist so unfortunately even though our hope was to go to all doctor's appointments because (laughs) for us our pregnancy happened during covid we that wasn't necessarily the case but it was still very important to us for someone close by. So they had told us that if we were looking for someone in New England area, that it may have taken a little bit longer. Our agency was based out of Massachusetts. So they said they get a lot of people in the New England area, but we might take a little bit longer than if we were willing to say anyone that you find, even if they're in Colorado or California, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it may be a little less time on the list. So I'd say it was about six months until we got our first match and we were very nervous to say yes to the first. Like <laughs> we're like, well, what else is there? And not and we liked the first match that they sent us, but like I was super nervous. I was like, this is like online dating. I don't know what else is going on. So we didn't say yes to our first match, and then it was like another two months until we got another match. And then when that one didn't work for whatever reason, then it was like two months until we got another. So it actually took till our fourth match until we, and I was definitely on the little bit of a pickier side, but, um, it rightfully so major decision. But once our fourth match came, like she was like everything we were looking for. It was beyond like perfect on paper. And then, when it all played out beyond perfect in every aspect of the word. So um, we're happy that we waited as long as we did. Yeah. Well, and good thing to be picky about (laughs) just as, as a point of information for our listeners, the agency that you keep referring to, is that specific to surrogacy? Is it a surrogate agency? I mean, it's called center for surrogacy and egg donation in Massachusetts. Um, They are So they have egg donation if needed as well. So they're um, set up for surrogacy and egg donation. So we had an embryo. We were fine. But if we needed to go the egg donation route as well, they would be able to link us with something as well as needed. Oh, wow. Okay. You mentioned that your gestational carrier needed medication Um, Could you go into a little bit of explanation about exactly what uh, medication she needed? There's estrogen. There's a bunch of different shots she had to take. I don't, Uh I know I purchased all of it. I don't remember the names of all of it, but (laughs) there was a bunch of different medications that shots she had to give herself to get her lining ready. Um, I know they also put her on birth control pills to get her prior to, to get her cycle all Um, ready to go and then from there there was a a bunch of different shots that she was given and she had to go to monitoring appointments to get blood tests as well as to get her lining checked to make sure that it was at the optimal level to get the transfer of the embryo 
So you mentioned your pregnancy happened during COVID. So explain a little bit about how that worked and how um, you, what you were able to attend and what you weren't able to to attend and as far as appointments and, and even the birth. So we had everything set up. We elected to do a mock cycle prior to our real one. I only had, as well as having endometrial cancer, I also had diminished ovarian reserve. So we only mm. had two embryos that genetically normal embryos that came out of my egg retrievals. So we were really nervous to go forward with surrogacy and with not having as many embryos possible. So we, my fertility doctor really wanted to make sure that we gave the best shot for the first try. So we decided to do um, a mock cycle where they give my surrogate all the eggs. I mean, sorry, they give my, my gestational carrier all the medicine and then they implant basically like a placebo to see what would work and if she would need a little bit more time on the medication or the amount of medication she had was just correct. So we went through that whole process up until February, and then the next step was transfer. So transfer was set for March 20th. Well, as we know, our world shut down on about March 15th (laughs) of that year, and we were all scheduled, ready to go, everything done, been waiting years for this, that it got to the point that we were afraid that the fertility clinic was going to shut down. And my Mm. doctor called me on like March 17th and was like, we're not shut down yet. They have not told us we had to shut down yet, but you do have to sign a waiver that agree that you are stating that I'm okay going through this during COVID without knowing what the implications are. Because on March 20th, they didn't know anything at that point. Right. So they didn't know what the effects could be of this. So my gestational carrier and I had a lengthy conversation if we wanted to go ahead, but we both agreed that we've been, waiting a while for this we were all ready to go and at that point we were both like oh this is gonna last like two weeks and we'll be good like let's go ahead yep (laughs) here we are a year later but um so we decided to go ahead and the issue was normally it's an exciting day and you can go in and be with them in the transfer room and see everything happen I had made t-shirts for us. I was all excited to be in the room with her and we weren't allowed in the room. So they were nice and allowed my husband and I to wait in the waiting room. And my gestational carrier, Andrea is her name. Andrea would send us pictures the entire time. She was very much trying to keep us in the loop of what was going on. But they came out and showed us the embryo before the doctor, and they showed us what it looked like mm. thawed because they were it was a frozen embryo. So they came to show us that it thawed very well because there is a chance when it's thawing that it doesn't survive the thaw. So they wanted wow. to make sure that we knew that it survived the thaw, it was doing well, it was starting to um, show that it's ready to implant. And then Andrea went for the transfer, and then... After that process, the next appointment would be a heartbeat appointment. Well, first she had some blood tests to make sure that she was actually pregnant, um, and they kept us up to date on what was going on with that. Then for the our for Andrea's first appointment was for a heartbeat appointment, and we were 
really excited to go. That's a big milestone to hear your child's yeah. heartbeat for the first time. And due to COVID, this was around April at this time. So they were not allowing anybody in. Mm. So we begged and begged and begged. And they said, no, we can't come in. Then we begged for video calls since we couldn't come in. And at this point, they said that legally they're not allowed to let us do a video call because they're afraid that we would record it and use it against them if something happened. So their laws did not allow us to even video at that time. Mm. I was super upset because... Andrea, at that point, who is a stranger, now best friend, but at that point, stranger heard my child's heartbeat before I did, and that was very heartbreaking for us. Um, But then after that, they set us up with a surrogacy coordinator at the hospital, and that changed everything. The surrogacy coordinator made sure that we could video at appointments and that we could, as much as possible, we couldn't go to appointments until the anatomy scan. That was the first one that they allowed us to go to. But at least we were able to video and hear our daughter's heartbeat and be there and know what was going on. And then for the anatomy scan, that was July. And things were better in Massachusetts at that point. So they got special permission to let my husband and I come in for the anatomy scan. And we were so excited. It was our first appointment. And we're in this ultrasound. And things are going well. And everything's up on the screen. And we're not really sure what's going on. But they're pointing (laughs) things out to us. Like, here's her eyes. Here's her legs. Here's this. Here's that. And then they were hovering over her heart for, I'd say, maybe 15 to 20 minutes to the point that it was Mm. making me nervous, but I didn't really know what was up on the screen. And then afterwards, a doctor came in and told us that she had a heart defect. Oh, wow. And uh, it just took everything out of us because between cancer and then going to surrogacy and now here we are and she has a heart defect. So she had, they told us that she had Tetralogy of Fallot and that they were going to send us to Boston Children's the next day to find out some more information. So the next day we went to Boston Children's and at this point Boston Children's allowed us in for everything. So once we got transferred to care of Boston Children's, the good part was we were able to go to all appointments because they (laughs) let us in for everything. Mm -hmm. And our cardiologist there was confirmed that she does have tetralogy of fallot, but um, he was very confident that, you know, she's going to be okay. She will need surgery, but that she will be okay. So then from there on out, we were able to go to any appointments at Boston Children's. Any of Andrew's other appointments, we did not, but Boston Children's, they definitely um, let us in at. And her heart condition's fine. She had surgery at uh, five days old, but she is doing amazing. And it's not a big deal and she Boston Children's was beyond incredible and she's doing amazing but um wow. it was very difficult with COVID not being able to be at appointments and be at everything and fully know what was going on especially with turning to surrogacy is hard enough and then not being able to mm-hmm. go to appointments when you dreamed of going to appointments made it that much harder yeah um just as some information for us because alex and i both have a heart defect um is Bree's heart defect uh genetic or is it just a fluke or just yep it's just a fluke there's nothing in my family that has 
heart condition. We were completely shocked. They kept asking us. And I remember I talked to my fertility doctors and I was like, is there anything that would, cause we got everything genetically tested and they said, no, mm-hmm. like nothing would have shown up in that for that. And it's just, just a fluke. We're not really sure exactly where it came from, but luckily she's doing all right with it. And we're just so grateful that she's doing okay with it. And yeah. she had the surgery when to cor- uh, correct that? She was five days old. So right when she was born, she got wow. transferred to Boston Children's Hospital. And she was there. And then at five days old, she had surgery and is a rock star and did amazing. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> has no, she goes to cardiology every couple of months for checkups, but she's doing really well. That's awesome. Awesome. Good, good. So uh, to the birth, were you able to attend that? Was that at Boston Children's or was that at a different hospital? So the birth was at Brigham and Women's. It actually has a bridge that connects to Boston Children's. So that's how that hospital was chosen. So it makes it nice and easy as soon as she was born. Mm -hmm. About 20 minutes after she was born, we just went over the bridge and got to Boston Children's. Wow. So it worked out well. Um, for the birth, so originally they said only one person could be in the birth, and Andrea mm. was amazing and was like, Alana's going to be in there. I want Alana. And then we tried to convince them to give us two or three other people because <laughs> I was nervous about her not having her husband. I was just like, if anything medically comes up for her, like that should be her husband's decision. I don't want to be involved in that. Um, and she, we both wanted my husband, Rob, in there. So, like, we really fought to try and get special permission. But they did give us special permission to get her husband in there. So the entire day, I was in there with her husband. And she was actually induced at 39 weeks. So it was a little bit of a longer process just because we had to go through the induction medicine and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then right when we thought Brianna was going to be born, they let us call my husband and get him on video so that he was able to at least be there for that and then as soon as she was born and everything was set and we were heading over to Boston Children's then my husband was able to join us and be there so unfortunately like we dreamed of all four of us being there in the room together and being happy and celebrating together but it was kind of like my husband wasn't with us and it was unfortunately with COVID it made changes but luckily at least I was there and one of us was able to be there for it yeah what was the reason for 39 week induction uh they wanted the 39 weeks for her heart condition so they just Uh. wanted to make sure that if they could control it as much as possible and have all the doctors in the room possible that was why they chose that it makes sense yeah that does make perfect sense so We know that probably going with an agency is costly. You mentioned that it was costly earlier. What all, and don't feel like you have to give us amounts, um, but what all is the, um, are the parents responsible for in terms of, I mean, I guess everything. So there was first the egg retrieval, which my insurance company actually covered my egg retrieval process of it. Some insurance companies do, some don't. It really depends. Um, For me, it was with the cancer diagnosis, they covered the egg retrieval part of it. But then from there, we chose to get the embryos genetically tested. Uh, That part was additional money that we chose to spend. And then 
we had to pay for freezing of the eggs of the embryos then mm-hmm. from there once we decided the agency we wanted to go to there's the agency matchmaking fees so it was first for them to find us a match was a certain amount of fees then there was the lawyer fees because there's an entire contract that needs to get drafted on our side and the gestational carrier side and then the gestational carrier needs to get a lawyer that is not associated like we had a lawyer associated with the agency on our side but then we had to pay for her lawyer not associated with the agency to look it over and for her to make any changes that she wanted to get made and then from there there's her fees of what she makes at her base fee um for carrying and then there's transfer fees we also elected to do that mock cycle so there were some fees there Mm -hmm. there's the medication that we paid for um for any of her meds any of the monitoring fees at the IVF clinic. So when she had to get all her monitoring done to make sure her lining was correct and everything was good to go, there were those fees there. Um, Any insurance. So they looked at insurance to see if her insurance would cover, if she had surrogacy-friendly insurance, which she luckily did. But if not, then there's additional insurance policies you might need to buy, Um, Mm. life insurance policies, And then there's the parentage paperwork that needs to get drafted and brought to the court, and there's some fees associated with that. So our agency, one of the helpful things of our agency is they set up an escrow account. So we gave them the money. It was all in an escrow account. So as daunting as all these things were, I felt Mm -hmm. none of it because they dealt with all of it. So they got all the fees and everything just came out, and we had, like, a running document that at any point we could see how much money was spent, how much money was left over. But it was really helpful that they did all of that because there was just so much that went into it. And also they got for days that they missed work, they got lost wages fees and things like that. Wow. Do you know, is there, um, are there any um, grants or anything like that available for people who want who need to choose a surrogate? Yes, there are. We applied for some of them. Um, I know there's one foundation, Baby Quest Foundation, that we applied to two or three times, and we didn't get selected. But um, I know they have a lot of people that apply for it. And then our IVF clinic gave us some other ones that we could apply for. A lot of them are based on, like, your personal family income. Um, Mm. So we didn't apply to a lot of them because it it just didn't work for us that we would be – we knew we would be able to get it. But there are a bunch of options out there. And then certain states have ones. Connecticut didn't have as many as that I saw, but each state as well had certain ones for this. So – our IVF clinic gave us ones, and also if you looked online, there were some other ones that you could find and look for to try. Wow. It's really like they've thought of everything. You know, in that process, they give you everything you need. Yep. yep. Yeah, all the information. That's amazing. Well, and I was going to say, it's so nice to have that agency who, like you said, they know everything. They probably have a checklist of, do we do this? Right. So that you don't really have to worry about it because you're already, right, 
nervous and scared and about just the whole process, let alone all these fine details with lawyers and, you know, um, different accounts and insurance and all of these other things. So um, that's really neat that you had them on your side to help you walk through that process. Yeah, that was one of our decisions when we were really deciding to go through an agency or not do an agency. We really just felt as though it was going to be helpful to have them on our side. And then each agency has different. Our agency was lawyer based, which I think was really helpful because it had the lawyers there already for us. Some agencies, then you might have to go and find a lawyer separately if they don't have the lawyers Mm. in-house. So for us, this one we really enjoyed because... They supported the parents, they supported the gestational carrier, but they also had the lawyers there that knew the lawyer side of all of it to be helpful with us because that's a huge part of it. That contract and the legalization that goes into this entire process was really important. And every state has different laws when it comes to parenting Mm -hmm. rights. So in Connecticut and Massachusetts, we were able to both – my husband and I's name was on the birth certificate right away. So we had no issue with that. We had the form that got approved by a court that said, we're the legal parents. And once Brianna was born, there was, we filled out her birth certificate. Our names were on it and it was no issue. I know other, some States have different laws when it comes to that. So it's really important to understand your state and, and mm-hmm. it's also both you need to understand what state that you live and the state where the baby's going to be born because mm. it was really important to know Massachusetts laws because Brianna was going to be born in Massachusetts. So it was important to make sure that those laws align with Connecticut's laws and what we're looking for. I, yeah, I don't know how people do it without an agency. I mean, just all that you've explained, it's kind of like um, – and I don't mean to minimize anything, but if you choose a realtor to sell your home or do it yourself, um, I think re- real estate is easier because you can do a lot of research and it's kind of been happening forever. Surrogacy is pretty new. And so um, I, I just can't imagine doing it without an expert to to kind of guide you. I agree. And that was really something that we went back and forth with for a while because we knew that we could save a decent amount of money if we cut the agency part out. But at the mm-hmm. same point, the stress of trying to figure out the financial and trying to figure out the legal part and trying to figure everything out, no amount of money could take away like that because that was so much easier for us. And I knew they were in my back if I had any questions. And especially when COVID came around, my agency mm. helped me when I had questions about you know, being there for the birth, because Mm -hmm. at first there was a lot going on where at the point where the birth was going to be, Massachusetts made a new law at that point that was, you can't come into the state from Connecticut because Connecticut numbers rose right around December when Brianna was going to be born. So Massachusetts said that you couldn't come into the state without having a negative test and quarantining 14 days and all this stuff. And I knew that if she was born on her induction date, I was going to be okay because I was, my husband and I were going to get COVID tested beforehand and we weren't going anywhere or seeing anyone. We were making sure that we were being super careful Mm. to not miss anything. 
but we were afraid that if, you know, we get a call at, let's say, 2 a.m., hey, please come to Massachusetts. Well, if I'm quickly leaving my house, am I going to be allowed into that hospital because I don't have my COVID test? So we talked a lot with the agency about getting a letter saying, you know, we're coming for a medical need and there's nothing that's going to keep us from getting in if we could not get that COVID test right before if she happened to go into labor prior to our induction date. Mm. Wow, that's scary. Mm. Well, I am just so excited to hear your story and to hear that Brie is doing so well. Thank you. And how old is she now? She's five months old already. Mm. Oh, I bet she's precious. She is. And she is. um I just am so happy to connect with you. And um, for those, well, nobody knows, (laughs) but Alana reached out to us um, because she is in the same Facebook group that I am in for young women with endometrial cancer. And so um, I know I've talked about that group several times and um, I know it's been a real blessing for me. And I, I think it has been for you as well that they're just, it's nice to have a shared experience. It really is. That group helped me so much at the beginning when I felt so lost when I I found out about having endometrial cancer at 32 and having all the questions about possibly fertility sparing and going back and forth if I'm going to do that or go for the hysterectomy. I really asked that group a lot of questions. And then even then throughout the whole surrogacy process, I saw there were some others in the group that were looking at doing this as well. And that group has been immensely helpful. Yeah. And so that's why we just encourage everyone, whatever you're going through, find that small network, right? Find that group and and seek out that support because, um, you know, we're two living testaments that it has been, has been so helpful. Well, and Alana, you're going to be so helpful to people who are considering surrogacy and um, have so many questions. They can read about it and they can do their own research, but to listen to someone who's been through it um, and connect with them on a personal level, it really makes all the difference in the world. So we really appreciate that you, you know, came on today and you're sharing your story. Absolutely. It honestly was the best process ever. My gestational carrier and I are still like best friends. She was stranger turned family and we have the best relationship. We still talk weekly and she gets pictures. She gets updates. I ask her mommy (laughs) questions because she has two little ones of her own. And it's just was the most amazing experience. And I'm this month on three years since my hysterectomy. And honestly, three years ago, I never thought I would be here with my daughter. It was a dream that I never thought I was going to have and it wouldn't have happened without her and surrogacy. And I'm just forever grateful for her and for her willing to open up her and her family to giving us our miracle. And it just was the best experience. And I'm so thankful for it. Well, and what a beautiful and selfless thing for her Mm -hmm. to do. And hopefully people hearing about her and this experience if they're considering being a surrogate, it might um, help them kind of see that the joy that you have, the joy she gave you, uh, the miracle she gave you. So hopefully that'll kind of trickle out there too. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us and um, we will uh, be talking to you soon. Thank you for having me. I love talking to both of you. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. 
what amazing information we just heard from Alana. Oh, and just a wealth of knowledge. And her story. And, you know, it's it's very similar to mine that at the mm. age of 32, we were diagnosed with uterine cancer and had to, you know, make a tough choice. Um, and so we are so happy that her daughter, Brianna, um, is doing very well. And as she mentioned, her heart condition um, was resolved with that surgery and she gets regular checks and is a-okay. And she's adorable. <laughs> she is. You can peek a picture of her on our website. We'll share that. And also on our website, we want to remind everybody, if you are looking for information about um, a surrogacy birth or using a gestational carrier, be sure to check out some resources. We'll have some links on the website. Um, and remember, as Alana mentioned, every state is different and you have to know all of the laws in your state um, that you live in, as well as the state in which your surrogate or gestational carrier lives. So um, it does take a lot of research, but as Alana said, um, even though it is more expensive, using an agency um, really kind of mitigates all of that worry and stress because they know the law, that's their job, and they handle all of that for you. Tune in next week as we discuss choosing not to be a mother and all of the stigmas that come with that and um, some interesting statistics about motherhood in America. As always, you can find more information on our website, www.downthereaware.com. And please feel free to email us if you have a non-traditional motherhood story that you want to share. That's how Alana got in touch with us, and we are so grateful for that. So shoot us an email, downthereaware at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok as we share more information than we do on the podcast. So um, you want to see all of that and you'll want to give us a follow and give us a like on those platforms. Thanks for listening.